Hey, Kansas City. Welcome to episode 28 of the Made in KC podcast. We are now in day 28 of the stay-at-home order. I'm Tyler Enders. I'm Keith Bradley. And I'm Thomas McIntyre. Today's episode is being filed under miscellaneous. We'll have a wide-ranging conversation about various COVID-related topics. Take two. Take one was a a joke about (laughs) today's date. So how are you guys? (laughs) Doing well. Doing just fine, thanks. Just doing doing as good as Thomas is. All right. Well, this will be a fun episode. We've got a whole bunch of random things to cover, so let's just get started. Uh, I have fun little titles for each of these sections. This one is From the Peanut Gallery, which is, of course, our families. So we have three notes on recent episodes. The first one comes from my mother. In response to our listener's question about donations, my mom wanted me to say, wanted us to say, that counseling centers may be a really good recipient of donations right now. So if people are still looking for good places to put their $1,200 if they don't need it themselves, consider counseling centers. Next, from our episode yesterday, my girlfriend Kim really appreciated that I mentioned early childhood care, but corrected me and said that we should really be starting with prenatal care. And then third, Keith's mom mentioned that our episode about underrepresented, disproportionately affected racial groups in America left out underrepresented, disproportionately affected racial groups in America. So on that note, we were aware that we were doing that. We tried to focus on one topic. We probably should have had a better intro or a better exit saying, clearly, there are other racial communities that are being disproportionately affected besides the black community. And of particular note, what we've read about is the Native American community and the Latinx community. Unfortunately, the information for the Latinx community and Native American community is very, very similar in the rates and how people are being affected. And so testing shows that these communities are affected at almost double the rate of white neighbors in the same counties. And when you look into these discrepancies, they underscore some really bad societal structural problems as well, especially in the Native American community. And that comes down to access to clean water, the amount of money that we as a nation spend for medical care and health care for Native Americans versus the rest of the population. And so these are all things that are worth diving into at some point, And we encourage those interested to look into it. But clearly, it is not just the black community that is being disproportionately affected. Anything else there, guys? Nope, that's a good update. And I think that we will probably continue to pepper in more information we receive about that episode. Uh, So please do give us feedback, and we will be sure to give updates as they come in. It's so good we have these uh, people in our lives keeping us in check. Thomas, who in your life is keeping you in check right now? Uh, The only feedback I received in the past 24 hours is my dad thought we were talking too fast, but then found that he had us on 1.5 speed (laughs) and then found it very comical to put it on 0.5 speed. Uh, So really... That's that's about it for my peanut gallery. So keep keep it on one X if you want it to sound normal, I guess. Yeah, fueled by locally roasted coffee. <laughs> cool. All right. Next section is in the news. Protests in KC. All right. What is happening? Why is this happening? Who are these people? How embarrassed are we of these people? And is it time to teach internet literacy one oh one yet? <laughs> think there's some 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 tone in those questions about uh, opinions on it but so what we're seeing across the country are some protests 
uh, about the mandatory shutdowns and approaches that states are taking in trying to minimize the spread of COVID-19 and how it is impacting or directly going against the rights we have as humans, I think is the goal of these protests. Um, I guess, I guess where my confusion comes in is, is it that they are in agreement with the risk associated with COVID-19 and that the severity of the spread of the virus but they don't believe that it should be mandated how we act as humans and we should be careful but not be forced to be careful with closures? Or is it this is a scam? Stop pushing out this information. It's all fake. I'm guessing they don't know either based on the groups. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I watched a handful of videos, listened to a handful of interviews, and it's a wide range of people. So you're totally right. There's obviously a lot of tone in my questions and it's a it's a wide array of people. Not all of them have the same reasons. Some of them totally believe that this is a dangerous disease that can spread. Others think it's a hoax and that it was made up in labs. But I think you're right in terms of a lot of people don't really know. My, my question about Internet Literacy 101 is that I think a lot of the anger is just misplaced and that Internet trolls are stoking anger and that these groups are probably run by non-domestic groups and that non-domestic troll factories are actually really stoking the fear, the frustration, the anxiety to just try to sow dissent. So I think that a lot of these people, while some of the arguments made with cooler heads could maybe be valid, it just looks foolish when people are doing things that completely counteract their end means, which is getting the economy back open. Yeah, and it reminds me of a uh, a quote from a comedian, Mitch Hedberg, of I'm against picketing and I don't know how to show it. And it's just like this whole concept of, uh, I think there are probably some valid arguments and some really high-level intelligent discussions that could be had about the government intervention and policies in place that are happening during a time like this versus the actual scale and severity of the pandemic and how it's affecting our public health. And I think it's going to get muddied with these protests. And it's it's dangerous. Obviously, we are, we are not in a position where we're questioning the realness of this virus and how it's spreading and how it's causing issues. And we've closed our stores as a result. And we are in that camp, as we've shared many times. And so I think that, you know, I don't want to speak for all of us, but I think we see these crowds and these groups that are forming that are not abiding to the rules that are set for public health purposes. And it's frustrating to see. And it's going to prolong the problem that they're protesting. And it seems like that, based on what we talked about yesterday, from what I've seen in terms of protesters, it's not necessarily the those that are most affected by the disease and the shutdowns that are out there protesting. Now, I could be completely wrong about that, but it seems like that there is a again another disconnect between those who those who are affected by it know the severity of it and are not getting out there to protest. And so, I think it's important to keep that in mind as we talk about who's protesting and why when discussing these protests and who's affected by the virus and why. I completely agree with that. Um, I think for me, part of the the trouble comes in is it reminds me what some of the discussions were um, just over a week ago about different churches gathering for Easter Sunday. Um, I'm not against protesting. I'm not against people gathering for church. But I do think there comes a time in a country or society's history where the individual desires sometimes need to be set aside for the greater good. And so we're gathering is the actual problem because it promotes the spread of disease. There are other ways to show your religious beliefs, other ways to show your protesting uh, protesting beliefs. 
and gathering is just part of the problem. And so for me, it just really um, is frustrating to see the, on one hand, the kind of the lack of creativity and in, in exercising those frustrations because it is just promoting things that we are actively trying to stop right now. Yep. I like that a lot. It makes me think about um, understanding the intent of a law versus the literal meaning of a law. And that's where people, I wish they could take a step back and understand the intent of what's going on right now. And you're totally right. There's so many creative ways to, to show frustration right now or to make your voice heard. And uh, But we're talking about it now, so clearly it worked. All right, moving on. Next thing, we've got unexpected business boons of COVID-19. Keith, this is inspired by some of the things that you've come across. What weird corners of American consumerism are currently going gangbusters? Have either of you tried to purchase a trampoline recently in the last two weeks? No, but I'm jealous no. that you're asking that question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wish I wish I would have been. Uh, so as soon as our, our local stay-at-home order here in Kansas City got extended, my wife went on a fairly frantic search for a trampoline to uh, further entertain the kids. They've been asking for one for a while now. But we thought, oh, yeah, this is a good excuse to get them one outside more, safe, stay at home, exercise, all that good stuff. They are just nowhere to be found. Any Amazon, Walmart, Target, Dick Sporting Goods, Academy Sports and Outdoors, um, Craigslist, everywhere, we cannot find a trampoline. Some we do find they're not shipping till, till after the stay at home order is extended. So we, we may pull the trigger on that, but it still a little bit defeats our, our purpose, hoping that we'll be able to get outside and get back more back to normal after that. But somewhere out there in the trampoline industry is making a ton of money right now because everyone jumped on the same boat at the same time and thought, I got these kids. They're driving me crazy. They need to bounce around some energy. So if there's any listeners out there, email me at hello at maidenkc.co. <laughs> uh, even if it's a used one, a one-off load it. We got, we got out we got on Craigslist over the weekend on one, adding to the, the further the trampoline uh, search. So that is one unexpected area. Yeah, how much? Uh, how much are aren't? How much are trampolines? Aren't they fairly affordable? Yeah. So yeah, was, that's why we we're kind of going going to get one. You can get so a, a fourteen footer is what we were looking at. Um, <laughs> with it, with a net, of course, goes between two hundred fifty and three hundred dollars. Yeah, you, I remember you, as yeah. a kid, we wanted one forever, and it was like a hard no, hard no. It was kind of thing that was around for years, and eventually, uh, I think Santa brought us one. But <laughs> the buildup of it brought me to think that they were these outrageously expensive devices that were unobtainable by my family growing up. And then I think I was at Costco or somewhere recently and saw one for like, yeah, that 250 bucks. And I was like ready to go. I was ready to buy. I was blown away by its affordability <laughs> and the hours of entertainment I got as a kid on that. Yeah, you can. I think you can get more fancy with a springless trampoline. I don't know what that is or how that works, but those are up upwards north of fifteen hundred bucks. But I think some of that stimulus money for all these families went straight to a a quick trampoline purchase. I've got a couple of restock notices out there, so I'm just anxiously checking my email for. Just paint a rectangle in your backyard and label it trampoline. <laughs> just just, have kids just jump, jump on it. Springless, yeah. <laughs> uh, another another item on that list. Clippers and home hair dye kits. So people are unable to, uh, you know, not surprisingly get their grooming done because that was early on. It was one of those gray areas where a lot, a lot of salons are staying open and then they ended up not being able to stay open, I believe was the final, the final ruling. And so there's empty shelves where there should be hair dye kits for people that are trying to take care of that and clippers. I've cut my own hair and use clippers forever. So it's just been the course for me, but I keep getting more and more family texts and other people saying I attempted to cut my own hair and clippers are apparently a uh, hard to come by item right now. So pretty, pretty interesting. Another one that was brought to my attention was home fitness equipment. Kind of makes sense. A lot of gyms closed up as well with the stay at home orders. 
There's a Kansas City-based company called Oyo that makes a personal exercise device, and uh, they've been doing pretty well during this pandemic because people are staying at home more and needing to work out. Um, I imagine there's other similar stories in that same category of purchases, but home fitness equipment, not quite unexpected, but really good to see. I mean, good to see that people are, are still wanting to exercise during this time, I guess. And then one last one I discovered, as we mentioned earlier, I finally made the move to Google Fiber, and I was asking our representative that was here if he's been busier or kind of same as normal, and he said they've almost never been busier with the amount of people that are needing to upgrade their internet needs because they have six people at home with different devices or their Zoom meetings keep getting dropped or they need to spread out around the house for for better coverage, so the higher speed internet world for anyone like me that hadn't made the jump because it wasn't a necessity. I think this definitely pushed people over the top and there's a lot of uh, whatever you call them, expanders being installed in homes and just new internet being installed to allow people to exist. Got to add a quick shout out to puzzles. Jigsaw puzzles are going like crazy and Kim's been a huge fan of puzzles for a long time and uh, we got to work on some made in KC puzzles. Sorry to everyone that we haven't done that yet. And then... Yeah. Baking equipment, I think kitchen equipment and baking equipment is selling like crazy as well. If you know of any other weird business boons that we should mention, let us know on Twitter. All right, next section, in it to win it. Prepare for the worst, hope for the best. Epidemiologists and virologists are predicting only 3 to 10% of the American population have been infected by coronavirus. So that brings us back to the curve. So flattening the curve means slowing down the spread of coronavirus. It does not mean that we can stop people from getting sick no matter what. That's what the vaccine does. And so until there's a vaccine, then there's reason to believe that coronavirus will continue to spread. So I want to go back to the reason that we flatten the curve, because I think there are some misconceptions out there. The reason that we flatten the curve is so that hospitals aren't overrun. Overworked hospitals mean poorer quality of care, overworked clinicians, shortages of supplies, and a ripple effect for non-COVID ailments. So yes, we have seen our curve slow and flatten of late, but the question is, is it going to look like that nice bell curve we all know from statistics? I was reading an interesting article or a bunch of different articles, actually nothing that I'll specifically quote here, but... And it might be obvious to some, but I think as we were getting into this, talking about flattening the curve, everything I was looking at was this symmetrical curve where instead of spiking up and then spiking back down, it was a flatter but still symmetrical curve. Um, and with that symmetrical curve, it leaves as quickly as it came. And what I'm reading now is that the efforts that we're taking, and especially if those efforts came a little bit late in specific areas, we're seeing more of a plateauing effect and that this won't be a decline of a curve like you'd expect to see in in a typical symmetrical chart. And instead, it's going to be this long, slow tapering down. Now, from a health standpoint, from a hospital standpoint, mission accomplished, there wasn't this large spike in hospital needs. And that's when we see a lot more deaths. But from an economic standpoint, which is these two spheres that we keep looking at as we discuss COVID-19 and the steps we're taking, it's going to be a much longer timeline to get that curve back down to zero to a healthier, not healthier, but to a safer standpoint when we can open things and feel good about being out in public. And so I think now that we've kind of gotten to that point in our on the X axis in this timeline and we're seeing great, we don't have the spike that we did in some areas. Now what? It's okay. It's not going to just dip back down now. We're going to have to ride this thing out and it's going to slowly taper off instead of being a, a curve like we had in my mind, at least pictured the entire time as this is going to go as quick as it came. I, I don't think that's going to be the case. I think especially as you zoom out to the U.S. as a whole, 
because it's hit so many different areas differently, our national curve is going to be really long and have a really fat tail as well. So the important thing to note there again is that virologists and epidemiologists are thinking that only 3 to 10% of the population has contracted coronavirus thus far. Until there's a vaccine, there's a good chance that 90% plus of the population is susceptible and will get coronavirus at some point. And so it's about tapering that out, spreading that out, and especially if we start to release or relieve some of the um, restrictions in place, and as people get out and interact with others more, clearly it's going to continue to spread. So we kind of need to prepare for the long road ahead. That leads me to the next section. What if everyone's open but no one shops? Consumer confidence is now at its lowest level since 2011, and a Wall Street Journal NBC poll showed nearly 6 in 10 Americans were concerned about moving too fast to loosen restrictions, with only 3 in 10 being worried about waiting too long. So, my question is to you guys, is the 8-week window too short on PPP spending, or is it too soon to tell? That's a that's a good question, Tyler, and to further explain what he means by that question is with the loans that have been given by the SBA to those that actually received them, even though the funds have run out, is that there's an eight-week clock that starts for when you receive those funds, for when those funds need to be used in order for them to be forgiven. So it's not a loan that you can use for whatever and then pay back over time. The idea is that it gets used for certain expenses in a certain amount of time, and that allows it to be forgiven. That certain amount of time given has been eight weeks. And so, for example, if you, without having exact dates, received your funding on April 15th, you approximately have till June 15th to utilize those funds. The problem is with stay-at-home orders being extended, things aren't open, which means people aren't working, which means we are going to end up being paying people for the sake of paying people, not for productive work that is going to get done. That's a whole different discussion if that's a problem or not a problem. But it's not the intended use of these funds, at least from the standpoint of getting things back open and getting the economy stimulated. It strictly will be passing funds through small businesses to employees for the sake of paying them. So at this point in time, yes, I think that eight-week timeline is too short. I think it should be extended. But at the same time, as I mentioned in a previous episode, I know the goal is to get the money into the economy, into people's hands. And so if it's extended for an additional eight weeks... I would imagine a lot of companies just hold tight to that money and don't do anything. Let unemployment pay their employees, don't open their shops, and it will definitely be a slow process to get the money into the economy. Yeah, looking at our business in particular, which is primarily brick-and-mortar retail, with our stay-at-home order going till May 15th, that's about halfway through this sort of, say, eight-week eight week window for a company that would have received PPP that we can't open. And so most of our employees work in that part of our business. And then if we look at, well, what happens if we open on May 16th? How many customers do we have? How many employees will we need? We're already talking about, as we mentioned a couple episodes ago, opening phases and open on reduced hours. It's just not realistic to think that that money will, one, last long enough, and two, accurately reflect the needs of our business during that time. Every business is a little bit different. Ours is, um, like I said, affected by this because we have to close and are not essential. But even say an insurance company who maybe has um, sales associates or customer call reps who can work from home, their business is down. I saw something about like 60% of car crashes are down recently in some parts of the country. So even say that business who maybe got some PPP money, they don't need that many people back on board for a while for this eight-week period. And so it really makes you think that that eight-week window wall 
admirable and, and definitely a, a lifeline for so many businesses, likely not enough and would need to be extended, at least yeah. even the grace, the grace period of forgiveness to be extended. Right. And in a really simple view, uh, that eight week period really makes the loans not beneficial to the company as an entity itself. It's it's beneficial to employees and the people that receive that money. Uh, but the idea being that if we were to get open and ramped back up and experience a slower period of business because of everything that's going on, our payroll costs are covered. And that's a huge, a huge win. Uh, at this point, if we're not open and not functioning and we're just passing that money through to employees, there's no benefit to us as a company. And it doesn't really stimulate us in any way, shape or form. So Again, I'm choosing to believe that there's going to be, I know there's already discussions of another $450 billion going through Congress today. I don't know if that's for those that didn't receive PPP or if that's going to be have other packages for it. But I believe that there should be and could be something else that comes along that is specifically to allow companies to ramp up and get back to where they need to be. Yeah, so what you're saying by it doesn't necessarily benefit us directly as a company, meaning it does not it does not do much to promote the longevity of our company beyond this. And that's where other economic packages likely will need to come and play to bridge the gap between slower expected traffic and then our previous expected traffic prior to prior to the stay-at-home orders. Yeah, there's very much a Band-Aid feel to it to help it specifically during this period of time. And then we'll be left to fend for ourselves as we try and ramp back up as a company if nothing else comes. Yeah, so really what we're saying is the real solution would be Everyone stay in this sheltered at home type state as long as we can manage until a vaccine comes out and put a hold on all real stimulus, put through just enough to keep everyone you know, sufficiently funded, and then do the real reopen stimulus once everyone's safe. Because as we said, with this really, really long, stretched out, fat tail on the curve, we're just fighting this battle where every time we try to go out and stimulate the economy, we're going to be getting more people sick. And it's going to be this strange back and forth until we can get way more testing way more antibody tests, better, um, not cures, but better uh, ways to treat those who are sick until we get to the vaccine. Yep, I agree. And the other option could be extending the amortization period of the loan. So the period in which you have to pay back the loan at this point in time, if you don't use those funds for what they're supposed to be used for, you have to pay back that loan at a 1% interest rate over 18 months. That's a massive monthly payment. And so that's a problem. Companies can be able to cash flow that. Now, if that were to be a 20-year loan at 1%, then we could use the funds for payroll as needed versus forcing payroll needs and then have that loan as a company to help stimulate us and get us back up to running and have debt on our books that's very affordable, which is acceptable. But there's no way we can be able to pay back a however many these companies are doing. If there's hundreds of thousands of dollars in this loan being paid back in 18 months, is just too large of a monthly payment to, to stomach. So anyway, we don't want to get too in the weeds here. We can move on to the next topic, but it's it's all in good intentions. It's just going to have to have a lot of uh, adjustments as as time goes on and we, we see what's going to actually happen with things opening in the economy. Yep. I would predict there will be many changes in the future about how these things are handled. So that brings us to why do we do all of this? And it brings us to our section, good things come to those who wait. Food for thought. The Roaring Twenties were all about being social, all about opulence, all about indulging. And that's how we responded as a society to the 1918-1919 flu pandemic. And then how about the robust growth in housing, good jobs, and families in the 1950s? Our economy is going to be flush with cash and cheap credit, at least in the near term. The Fed has made that very clear that they're willing to print more money, and global investors have made it very clear that they're willing to keep on scooping it up. 
So a Bloomberg index for 12 major economies, including the US, China, Eurozone, Japan, all the big ones, showed that the aggregate supply of money in our economy had already doubled from 40 trillion to 80 trillion from 2008 or before 2008 until 2019. So that's before the Fed started printing more trillions of dollars. So again, this goes back to that inflation question, which we've brought up before. I found this quote that I really liked. It's from this guy named Adam Tews. He's a British historian and professor. He's also the director of the European Institute. He said that, quote, the dollar system is inherently unstable, but so is a bicycle. And if you're a skilled rider of them, they're great. And the Fed has demonstrated it's a skilled rider of the dollar hegemony bike. So my question to you guys, how bullish are you on another roaring 20s 100 years later? I really like that analogy you just laid out from that quote. It oddly made me feel at ease. You know, people talk about uh, modern monetary theory and how these type of actions don't necessarily need to lead to inflation. But I think it is that balancing act, like riding a bicycle, which inherently looks like the most dangerous thing you should put your body on. And yet once you do it, it's it's smooth sailing. It's It's been my biggest stressor. I stay up late at night reading all sorts of economics articles. And I've mentioned this a few times in private, and I'm going to do it on the podcast now. But my greatest fear, which I think is a 0. 0.0 something percent, my greatest fear was that as we print all this cash, that people wouldn't lose faith in the dollar immediately. But instead, a non-US government, let's say China, for example, who owns a lot of our treasury bonds, would say, you know what, let's not put our faith in the U.S. dollar anymore. Let's shift to something else. And that as they would pull back from the U.S. dollar, it would create this precipitous effect where all of a sudden people flee the dollar because the dollar works because it's safe. And so our bicycle is going because everyone in the world is making sure that the bicycle keeps on going. Now, I've since read many articles that give me a ton of faith that China, all of the things that they've done in the past multiple years and including more recent um moves that they've made have shown that they still support the dollar as being the safest investment in the world. So I think we're completely fine. But yeah, my biggest scare, and again, it's a point something percent scare, is that all of a sudden faith in the dollar would be lost. But pretty much 999 economists out of a thousand agree that the dollar is going to continue to be the safest investment for years to come. I like the bicycle analogy. And I think I took away something different. I mean, different than Keith did in it, potentially in that I just think of the involvement of our control of the unstable item. So uh, left to its own, yes, unstable. If we are in control and doing as we should do, it is stable and an efficient vehicle. And so I think the idea that we have, we have some say in this as a, as a country, as a body of people and how this is going to go, uh, that gives me some confidence too, that it is up to us what ends up happening in some way, shape or form. And we have the ability to change things. But to your question, do we, are we bullish in a a roaring 2020s of sorts. I would say, yes, I am. My biggest fear lies in how this is different than an economic structural problem. And I know the flu from the 20s is, was not that either, but the scale is different in that the, the potential for this to reoccur in a short term is my biggest concern with the coronavirus and lack of a vaccine and potential of it coming back next year and probably more powerful than the actual resurfacing of a COVID-19 coronavirus disease is the fear of that return. And so I think we saw an article on the earlier point that parts of China have said, 
you're okay to go eat at restaurants and shop and people are not uh, because the level of fear is still there. So qualified answer of yes, I am bullish on it, but the fear is causing fear. Yeah. I think there's so many, so many contributing factors to that. Can we be in a stay at home order for 18 months while we wait for a vaccine and then expect to come out of this in a roaring twenties type fashion? I think that would come a lot longer and later, but still come. Can we get certain measures in place, more protective equipment, more testing, both of the virus and antibody testing, other precautionary measures in place? And when that vaccine comes out, enter into a, a roaring 20s type, type environment. Yeah, I think it just kind of depends on how ready and willing we are as a society to continue to make the sacrifices we're making now into a balanced a balanced recovery period for the for the short term. And then I think, as you mentioned, Tyler, with, with a lot of these programs in existence and more to come, um, the ability to get cash and the desire from people to, to spend it, I think will be strong once there's that more safety measure in place of a vaccine. Um, but I think the riding the bicycle analogy is going to still need, it will work for our short term recovery, balancing the needs of going out, spending money, getting people back to work while being protective, cautious is going to be a, a ride in a bicycle act in and of itself. So because you guys both qualified your answers, I will not qualify my answer. I'll go ahead and just play the, the optimistic role, give everyone their daily dose of optimism. So I think that we learned a lot from the 2008 financial crisis, and we've seen Congress act in a much more robust way now. So the additional stimulus that they're talking about, which is half a trillion dollars, is a small amount relative to the amount that has already been injected into the economy. And it just dwarfs the amount that was spent in 2008-2009. So that gives me a lot of confidence that on the monetary policy side, there's been some good action there. My hope and my belief is that some of the more populist ideas about better security nets, about really having a serious conversation about inequality, that those things are going to prevail and that those are going to be heard out and that we will change the way that we tax people in America and that as we have all this excess cash pumped into the U.S. economy by the government, it'll be distributed a little bit better because we realize that our economy is so much better when everyone has the ability to be a contributing consumer. And so I am bullish on the 2020s as a roaring 20s. And that might be just because I'm willing it to be so. Well, considering that your biggest fear is just a 0.01 person fear, <laughs> the optimism was expected. <laughs> That's good. Well, thanks for indulging in that miscellaneous episode. Do you guys have any other thoughts before we close out? Yeah, just a closing thought that while you know we, we were able to talk a little bit more lightly about some subjects today, particularly when we're talking about different winners, subsets of our economy, just that we are you know fully mindful. We all know people who have been affected by the virus, whether they're working on the front lines or have been infected themselves, that we're not making light of the fact that, that lives are, are continuing at risk, but just looking at the different nuances of, of what's going on in this pandemic. Yeah, and I think, I think Keith, you should look into um, a... DIY made at home trampoline kit and see if see if we can get one of those going. I knew that that's where Thomas's head was as soon as <laughs> as soon as you started talking about it. That's all I can get my mind around is like gotta solve this trampoline problem, but I'll let you know if I figure anything out. Sounds good. All right, well have a good one, guys. See you guys. As always, we would love to hear your thoughts. You can reach us at hello at madeinkc.co 
or at MadeInCasey underscore on Twitter. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend or rating us on Apple Podcasts. Thanks.